Okay, uh, so I would like to continue um, in the, what we called the Egyptian halal. It's called, or it's known to be uh, the Egyptian halal, and it's found in Psalm 114. So as I explain briefly, and I'll, I will again, <clears throat> that the, uh, um, the Jewish people have a, uh, when they would have the Passover feast, uh, they would have what they, or they would recite what they call the uh, Egyptian halal. And, and halal means simply praise the Lord. So, uh, or praise, um, and then we would also probably know that better as hallelujah, that would be praise the Lord. And so, um, one of the things that they've done, and this would be in accordance with what they were taught in um, Exodus as Moses was to, uh, instructing the leaders, um, this is what we need to do um, tonight because the Lord is going to deliver us, and then you need to remind your children. They're going to ask you, why are we doing these certain things with regards to the Passover feast? And he needed them to know, this. you need to remember how the Lord delivered you. And so, as is customary in uh, the Passover, the observance of the Passover feast, they would recite Psalms 113 to 118. And so, we took up, looked at um, Psalm 113 uh, a few weeks back. And Psalm 113 really covered um, the call to praise, first of all. Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Um, but also then, it uh, not just an empty call to praise, because praise uh, is never just, it's never a call to just say praise God, but it's always a call to praise God for, fill in the blank, for his greatness, for his mercy, for his grace, for his deliverance, for his uh, power in the earth, and so on. And uh, so the rest of Psalm 113, it's broken up into three parts. The first part talks about um, the uh, sovereignty of God and the magnificence of God, transcendence of God above all things, above nature, above uh, the, uh, the universe, and even the hearts of men, the kingdoms of men. And then the second, or sorry, the third part of Psalm 113 is a praise to God that he not only uh, is transcendent above all things, but that he calls us up into transcendence. He, he elevates or exalts the people as well. Specifically the poor, those who uh, sit in the dust. He calls them up to be with princes. And, and those who have the... Um, uh, the feeling of insignificance, like the barren woman, she would be um, uh, given that significance by God. And um, we are called to praise him, not just for his transcendence and his exaltation, but that he calls us up into that as well. So um, that would be the first psalm that they sung. And then uh, they would also recite or sing Psalm 114, uh, and this would be done before the meal. So the first two are done before the meal. So now this is um, Psalm 114. So why don't we read Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. 
The mountains skipped like rams, and the hills, the little hills, like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fledst? Thou Jordan, that thou wast, wast driven back. Ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. May God bless the reading of the word. So this is why we would call this group of psalms the Egyptian halal, because of this reference right here in the first verse, when Israel went out of Egypt. So this is actually a very complex um, psalm, and there's, there's a lot of meaning to this psalm. I, I would like to approach it first by just going through all the verses quickly, because they all make reference to something. Um, so they are pointing back into the history of Israel and are referencing uh, occasions and certain things. So we'll just do a quick uh, uh, look through and, and a, a cursory explanation, but then I would like to just dive a little bit deeper into the, the real heart of this psalm and why was this psalm so significant and important for the children of Israel. And what, when they were reciting it uh, on that night before they would consume the meal, what really did it mean to them? And, you know, it's order and so on. So let's look uh, first at uh, the verses, have a quick uh, understanding of them. What are they really saying? And then we'll dive in a little bit deeper, God willing. So when Israel, verse 1, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. So here, clearly this is talking about the exodus of the children of Israel on the... um, we find these uh, stories primarily in the beginning of Exodus, and uh, we know the story. Uh, I'll just quickly uh, remind everybody, this is when uh, Moses was called out um, by God to lead the people out of Egypt, and uh, you remember the phrase, let my people go. Moses would recite this to uh, the Pharaoh, who said, absolutely not, my free labor, Uh uh-uh, they're mine. And uh, progressively, God would uh, send plagues to Uh, the land of Egypt, to uh, entice or encourage Pharaoh to let his people go. This is always the message. Let my people go. I will not. Okay, I'm going to turn the river into blood to show you who you're uh, dealing with. And and then he wouldn't do it. He he would renege. And so on and so forth. And finally, it came to the final, uh, in a sense, a showdown where God says, if you do not let my people go, I will strike down the firstborn of every family and of every animal in this uh, country, in Egypt. And he told Moses and the children of Israel, but I want you to do something. I want you to go and prepare yourself, because this is it. After tonight, we are leaving, um, and uh, you need to go and you need to take the lamb and to sacrifice the lamb, and then you take some of its blood, and you mark the doorposts of your household. And when, I, when the angel of death is going through Egypt, and he sees the blood on the doorpost, he knows, okay, this is one of the believers. This is the one who heard and believed and followed the instructions. And so uh, after that, Pharaoh, whose own household was also struck, he said, you have to leave. All the people, it says in uh, Exodus 12, they encouraged them, you need to leave now. Because the cost was so great. It had gone from just economic ruin now to death of family. And finally, 
Pharaoh was broken. Finally, the people of Israel were going free. And when Israel went out of Egypt, it's important to realize they did not skulk out of Egypt. They were not pushed out or forced out. They went out. And that's significant to me because God has prepared the way for them. And he says, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. And you're not going to have to go like cowards. You're not going to have to go at the end of a sword. You are going to go out when I want you to go out. And you go out. And they, they pillaged the people. or, or um, they, uh, What do they call it? When they, 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 they went, all the people gave them the gold and a whole bunch of precious things to them. And so essentially, they went out and spoiled the people. Uh, so the people who were left in Egypt probably would have been in really, really bad shape. But the children of Israel went out, not pushed out, not skulking, but they went out. It says, the house of Jacob from the people of strange language. Interestingly enough, Israel, the house of Jacob, same reference, but the house of Jacob. And now think about this for a moment. The house of Jacob, heretofore, they were a house, a household. This was the descendants of Jacob. So it was like, uh, you know, 12 brothers and, and maybe more sisters and so on. But the 12 brothers who had, uh, um, they, they had their uh, families and so on and started growing more and more and more. And 430 years later, you have this massive people, millions of people who are leaving the house of Jacob. Um, it says here in verse 2, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel, was his, and Israel his dominion. Again, Judah and Israel uh, ref- referencing or different names but for the same group of people. It says in Exodus 25 verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So it's very interesting here. They are leaving. Uh, they left Egypt and God says, I will go with you. In Exodus 13, we see that God has been with them all the time of their exodus. Uh, He's already been with them in the cloud uh, that went by day and the uh, fire by night. So God removed them from Egypt and his desire was that they would be his sanctuary, his dwelling place. And Israel would be under his rule, his dominion. It says in verse 3, the sea sought and fled. Exodus 14 tells us about the, um, the children of Israel standing at the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh recognizing, oh man, they're in a, a bad spot because geographically where they were they, were, they couldn't escape. They were almost backed into a corner, if you could use that phrase. And so Pharaoh uh, recognizes this and he, he goes after to attack. He regrets what he did and now he's going to go back and get them all back. But we know the story that Moses spread or put his rod out over the waters and the sea divided. So this is a reference to the sea fled. And Jordan was driven back. It says, this is in Joshua 3, when the children of Israel were about to move into the land, the promised land, to begin conquering. The Jordan River was crossed at high flow. It wasn't like when it was just down to a little trickle and an ebb. But when it was already breaking the banks, um, it was driven back. It says in verse 4, the mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. Referencing in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, when God himself descended on, the mount, on Mount Zion, that it says the, the mountain shook. And so this is, a, again, an, an allusion or a reference to that. Uh, what ailed thee, in verse 5 it says, what ailed thee, 
O thou sea that thou fleddest, thou Jordan that thou wast driven back. And so here the psalm writer, and, and again, ye mountains that ye skip like rams, ye little hills like lambs. So we see here that there's a personification, in a sense, of the, 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 the sea, the Jordan River, the mountains, the little hills. And uh, the psalm writer, I, I suspect that he intentionally, or she, but most likely he, intentionally uh, personified these things to bring them down a little bit. To knock them down in, in, in stature, in a sense. Because when you, st- I don't know how many of you have ever really felt the true force of water. Relentless. Powerful. When you look at, um, many years ago there was the uh, flood, the tsunami, that hit some of the islands in Indonesia. And I watched footage of that, and it's just terrible. And, and you think, it's just water. I love water, right? I love water. And yet, to see the power of water just unendingly, you know, pushing and pushing and the destructive power of it. And yet here, it fled. It fled from God. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams. And I, I'm not familiar with rams and uh, maybe a little bit more with lambs, but when I see them skipping and, and jumping about, we see have this picture that the mountains, these massive mountains that cannot be moved, you know, these are, uh, we, we use this phrase, uh, he was a mountain of a man to imply that like massive and immovable. And here the psalmist is saying these mountains skipped like rams and little hills like lambs, just bouncing all over the place. So we're starting to see this picture that, um, you know, these things that are, are perhaps in our minds so immovable, so powerful, are being reduced to uh, little animals bouncing around or uh, perhaps fleeing instead of uh, standing their ground and, and exerting their force. So the, the, it's almost like a, an air of mocking when the psalmist says to the, uh, to the, to the sea, what ailed thee? You know, what's wrong? Why did you, fl- why did you run? Uh, and, and Jordan, what happened? What, what drove you back? Almost, it's a rhetorical question, but almost in a sense, I, I, I hear this and I read this in a sense of saying like, you know, big old strong sea, what happened? Mountain that's so unmovable, here you are skipping around and, and bouncing around like little animals. What, you know, what, what happened to you? And then we hear in, in verse 7, the answer, the rhetorical question, what happened? And in, in verse 7, it says, Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. We see here that at the presence of God, all things flee. All things are undone. It wasn't uh, a... a Anything that Moses did. It wasn't anything that the children of Israel did. It was the presence of God. And before the presence of God, all things are subject. All things submit. At the presence of the God of Jacob, this reinforcement, it was the presence of God. And there's so much that we can understand from that. um, That... God's presence. In, in verse 2, he says, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel was his dominion. God's presence. This was unheard of. 
This was unheard of in the sense that, you know, we have the, people had idols and so on, and, and they built shrines and so on to, to their gods and so on. But these never were the dwelling place of the, the God that they worshipped. These were just symbols of the one that they put, you know, affixed up into the ether, into the mysterious beyond. But here, God himself says, my presence, I want to be with you. I will protect you. And then we finally have in verse 8, which turned rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of water. And this referencing in Exodus chapter 17 uh, at uh, Horeb when Moses uh, struck the rock and the Lord brought forth water. And then again, towards the end of the, the wilderness journey, in Numbers 20, uh, verse 11, uh, again, the same sort of thing happened where Moses struck the, the flint, the very hard stone, and again, water came out. So these, this is the, the context in the sense of the, 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 um, the psalm. So recounting the exodus, recounting God's desire uh, to be in, with them. Judah was his sanctuary, his dominion. Um, and then looking at certain events that uh, happened to, uh, that showed God's uh, majesty, his presence, his power. So, is this a recollection of all of these sort of things? Is this why this, this uh, psalm is so important? Interestingly enough, as much as it's called the Egyptian Halal, it deals very little with Egypt. It doesn't, if you, if you want to go through uh, some of the Psalms, many of the Psalms will um, speak about like Psalm 135, 136. They speak about uh, the specifics of what happened. How God um, confronted Pharaoh, and through his power he defeated Pharaoh, and, uh, you know, and it highlights some of the different things that were happening and so on. But that's not what's happening here. So we call this the Egyptian halal, but it has actually very little to do with the deliverance from Egypt. And so I, 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 I puzzled a little bit at that because, um, you know, it's not recounting the glories of, of what God has done here. So what's the significance of this here? What is the, why is this so important to the children of Israel that at the time of the Passover, they would recite this and this would be a very powerful psalm for them? It says in verse 2 that you will be my sanctuary. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Exodus chapter 19 changed the Israelite nation, the people, forever. Israel, uh, Exodus chapter 19 verses five, six, 5 and 6 says this. And this was God speaking to Moses. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant... Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses, you need to go down to the people of Israel and you need to tell them that I have chosen you. They were given the law. They were a covenant. God wanted to make a covenant with the people of Israel. See, it moved from becoming just a great telling of a, of a, a rescue to go from uh, captivity to freedom. 
It was more than just going from captivity to freedom. It was more than just enslavement to liberation. You were slaves for this many years and now you're liberated. It was going from captivity though, more importantly, more than just a captive to freedom. It was going from captivity to purpose. And it was going from slavery to service. And I don't know if you can uh, tease out the, per- like the, the difference here. This was not just about you are in a really bad spot and I'm going to make you into a not a bad spot. God was saying, no, I, you are in a really bad spot and I'm going to take you out of that bad spot and more than just set you free, I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to lay my claim upon you. You are going to be mine. You're going to be my beloved. And I want to be with you. I want to be your God and I want you to be my children. I don't want you to just go from being a slave to being free. I want you to be now a slave to become a servant. And and see, this was a a, a paradigm shift for the the children of Israel because heretofore they were only um, a, a family. They were a very large family, mind you. But up until then, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, as far as we know, just that to the people. It was, he was the God whom Abraham made promises to Abraham and to, according to Abraham's faithfulness and, and so on. And he was a God to Isaac and to Jacob. But we don't have a, a clear uh, reckoning or so that everybody you know, had this sense that we are the chosen ones of God until this point right here. This is the point when they went from being the family of Jacob, the household of Jacob, to the nation of Israel. And that's one of the reasons why it's so extremely important, this psalm. Because this talks of the birth of a nation here. It says in uh, verse, verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. I want you to tell the people that I choose you as priests and a holy nation. A nation that's separate. You're not going to be just like everybody else. I want you different. I want you separate now. I want you to stand apart. You are separated for a purpose. And that purpose is that you are the priests. You are my priests, it says. Kingdom of priests in a holy nation. So what is the significance of the priest? Um, The priest was the one who would oftentimes stand between God and the people. He was the servant of God. Or she was the servant of God. Um, And so Israel is being called forth to now be that servant of God, that voice of God, the one who would bring the oracles of God to the world, the one who would um, be the, uh, that would stand between the world and God. God says, "I, I choose you to be mine. I choose to dwell among you. And I want you now to be the ones who serve me and are the liaison between me and the world. You, through you, I will bring the word, my revealed will, to the people. Through you, I will bless all the nations in Jesus Christ. Through the children of Israel, through the family of Jacob, who have now become a nation, the Messiah would come and ultimate freedom would be observed or recognized. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 26 to verse 28. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them 
and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. The heathen will know that you are mine, that I'm sanctifying you, that I'm changing you, I'm transforming you. Similarly, we see this in uh, when they, Israel was in the exile. Um, if we look in Isaiah chapter 43, we see some God speaking to the people. So our Isaiah, through Isaiah, he's saying to the people now, um, this was just before they were released, I believe. But know this, saith the Lord, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. This is extremely personal. This is extremely intimate. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Again, this is a reference back to um, what they've already encountered when they first became a nation. So this was much later in their history. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore, I will give men for thee and people for thy life. So here, precious in his sight. We see this ownership that God has, his precious, his, his love the one that he will fight for. And so when we start to now look at the, 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 the verses, the, the middle section there, you know, starting at verse 3 all the way to 6, it says you know, the, the sea fled from the presence of God. God who is with his people, anything that comes before him, it flees. The presence of God with his people so overwhelmed the sea that it fled from him. So overwhelmed Jordan that even though it was at high water overflowing the banks already, it stopped. Because why? Because the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, was coming before his people. And he says, I want my people there. And they had nothing to do but to flee, to run away. And these things that in our lives are so immovable, so, uh, so um, massive. Have you ever been to a mountain? I, I haven't, in, not properly anyways, but many of you I'm sure have. To imagine the, the mass of this mountain and, and, and the, the, just the sheer volume of these things. And even before the presence of God, they skip. They just shudder and, and shake. What an incredible picture to think. And, and, and imagine now, imagine the God that you just praised in Psalm 113. Of how transcendent he is and exalted he is and so on. And, and how the, he goes before you. That he is the one that walks before you. And anything in his way, any obstacle in his way, flees and runs. What an incredible picture to me. How would you feel as somebody who uh, was walking with God? How would you feel then when you are, know who your daddy is? When you know how precious you are to him? 
And you can hear it in the language. And, and when you see that even these things that would utterly uh, stop you, betray you, confound you, before God, before his presence, they tremble. And this brings me to the present day. Because this is not just a hymn that the children of Israel find precious. But, see, all of these things, it, 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 this is for us as well. This is not something that was left to uh, simply the, uh, the children of Israel and we stand back and say, whoo, I wish. No, this is, this is a pro- these are promises that are given to us as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this in verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Haven't we heard this before? God says, I will be your sanctuary, or you will be my sanctuary. My presence will be with you. I will rule over you. And he's saying the same thing. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The same promise that the the Jews held so precious and, and recite every year at the Passover is the same thing that we ought to um, uh, recite and, and to constantly remember and, and to rejoice in because the same God who made things tremble by his very presence is the same God who dwells within us. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought, like in in the physical sense, you know, we see this and and we see the sea, we don't see it, but we can imagine the sea going back or the river going back and the mountains actually shaking just at the presence of God. And and in a very visual way, they say, oh, that's, that's the power of God going before me and nothing. I tell you, that would give me courage beyond anything. Who can stand in the way of God? And yet, do I translate that to my time right now? Or do I cower and do I fear when the things of this earth stand before me and say, you shall not pass? Do I then uh, shiver and shake? Do I tremble? Or can I boldly and confidently say, you tremble at the presence of God because I know God is with me. Listen to what Peter says in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, almost word for word what he told the Israelites. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has chosen us. He has chosen every one of you to be a royal, part of the royal priesthood. To be his um, representative in this world to a dying world. To be your, the liaison between the lost and him. To show forth his glory to a world that so desperately needs to see and to know him. Jeremiah also speaks of this ownership that God gives. And listen to this new covenant that we have with God. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house, the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them from the land 
by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this covenant that we read about in Exodus 19, that I will be with you, you will be my people, I will be your God, if you just are obedient to my words. He's saying, this is not the covenant, a new covenant I'm, I'm making to you now. Not according, okay. Uh, and so speaking again of the Egypt, which, my, which covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So he, they broke the covenant even though he was um, like the husband unto them. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Again, this intimate ownership that he is uh, extending to us, this relationship and they shall teach they shall teach no more and they shall shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the lord for they shall for shall for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sin no more this covenant that was made through jesus christ that was established and and sealed in the blood of jesus is the covenant that you and I have. is the same, in the, but in a much more a beautiful way, I believe, is the, the, the spirit of the covenant that he made with the children of Israel, the covenant he has now made with us. And, and it not, not his presence in the cloud by day or the fire by night, not a presence that was contained only in the tabernacle and eventually in Solomon's day on, and on in the temple, That's not the presence that he is promising us, but the presence of his spirit in our hearts, in our lives. That he will go with us and that we won't have to be taught anymore because the spirit is teaching. The spirit will teach us. And so God takes Israel from captivity, not just setting them free, but transforms them. He takes Israel, who was a family, and he says, you will be my people now. And I'm going to make you my servants, my priests. And I'm going to transform you. And I'm going to take you from just being a group of people to being my people. And you are going to be my ambassadors to this world. And so we have the verse, the eighth verse in the scripture here that we read, which turned the rock into standing water, the flint into fountains of water. We see that God, in order to quench the thirst, to to bring survival, to bring life to the people, he transformed the rock into water. And similarly, he transformed Israel from just a family to to a priesthood, to his servants. So that the people could have life. And brother and sister, God is transforming every one of us to become not a cold, hard stone, but from a stone, from a useless, non-life-giving object to be, a, to be an ambassador to the truth, a minister of reconciliation, to bring light to a world that is enveloped in darkness, to bring water, the water of life to a people. We are being transformed. We have been saved and now he is transforming us more and more and more to be like the image of his son. And so when the children of Israel pour the second cup of wine and they recite this this psalm, they're not talking about, oh, good thing we got out of Egypt because that was just really bad for us. They're remembering God's goodness, God's transformation, his power. And 
in conjunction with Psalm 113, this great God who is above all things, above all the earth, who has to stoop down to look at the things of earth. This God has chosen us. Hallelujah. And so let us each, each of us who name the name of Christ, remember all of the lessons of Psalm 114, that there is nothing that can stand in the way of the presence of God. And he promised that his presence will go with us. And we see ultimately in Revelation, in the New Jerusalem, that is all about the presence of God. This morning, Brother Dan preached about loneliness. How precious presence is to somebody who's lonely. Will we each now learn the lessons of Psalm 114 and and rejoice that we have been called in to a royal priesthood? That God has said, I will be with you. And will we then also go forth with boldness to be the priests the part of that royal priesthood that he has called us into. Hallelujah.